I am so grateful to all the people out there that have uh, waded through the depths and gone through hard times and have come out on the other side with grace and with courage. And today we are speaking to someone who has both Ollie London and his new book, Detransition. He's a former British K-pop singer and he outlines his struggle that he had with gender and identity and the plastic surgeries that he's well documented over the past few years. He's got over 2 million followers and has since turned that social media following into a way that he is trying to help help others, speaking out for children everywhere when it comes to sex education and transgenderism being pushed on them, going through those, uh, you know, really cautioning against those transition surgeries, as well as talking about men and women's sports, and most importantly, his faith journey and how that helped him get through these hard times. So he is a voice of a cautionary tale, and he's doing so much now to speak out and to help others. So I cannot wait to talk to Ollie London. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Ollie, thank you so much for for joining the show. We so appreciate everything that you've been speaking out on. Has this been um, something very unexpected for you to be thrust into this role? Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me, Taryn. It's a real pleasure to be speaking to you today. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting this, but I got to a point in my, in my life where I was kind of, you know, pursuing my own interests, you know, having surgery, trying to change myself. And I became very obsessed and addicted to that. I had body dysmorphia, gender dysphoria, and I was really struggling with myself. And, you know, I was just so in, obsessed with trying to change my image and trying to change my life and self. And then I got to a point where I realized, actually, all of those things were very selfish pursuits. And, you know, I can actually use my platform instead of projecting you know, my identity struggles to my audience. I could actually try and help people. And, you know, there was a pivotal moment uh, late last year when I, you know, I transitioned, I was living as a transgender and I was so unhappy. And I thought, you know, I can either take it to the next level and keep going on this journey right now, or I can take a step back and reflect on myself and actually think, you know what, I'm actually doing harm to myself. I'm projecting this new identity onto other people that can also be harmful. I need to be a good influence. I need to help the people that follow me. Uh, you know, I have a lot of young fans and I need to be a better influence. So, you know, I came to the realization that I need to use my platform to speak up, to talk about my own struggles, but also to talk about what's going on right now. Because uh, when I detransitioned last year, I actually started researching what was going on in the world. And, you know, to see these kindergartens and preschools pushing these ideologies on kids, talking about sex education, to see these, you know, drag shows where they're twerking and basically naked and gyrating in front of toddlers. And then to see, you know, all of these social media influencers telling kids to transition, you know, you've got some very dangerous influencers on TikTok that are pushing kids to cut off their parents, they're pushing them to go get hormones. There was a, you know, a trans activist, Ellie Elric, is saying that she's going to ship um, illegal hormones to states where it's illegal to kids. You know, that's without a doctor, 
without the parents' knowledge, it's really become very dangerous. So I saw everything that was going on. I thought, you know, I can either speak up or I can remain silent. I can keep going with my life, keep doing TikToks, you know, which is basically very meaningless, or I can have a meaning in life and actually try to help people. So that was really why I decided to do that. How did you get to that realization? Because I think that we are hoping that so many kids do find that for themselves, whether they're dealing with, um, you know, gender dysphoria and transgenderism or just in general. I feel like so many kids in general are dealing with that issue of trying to find meaning in their life. And I think that that has led so many to be depressed and, um, you know, mentally have mental instability and things like that. So tell, tell others how you got to that point to help them. Right. Well, actually, I was struggling with a lot of mental health issues, you know, and I'm I'm proud to speak about that and admit that now because we have to realize that gender dysphoria is a mental health condition. You know, we can't skirt around the fact that this is a mental health crisis right now and kids are being wrongly diagnosed by saying they're in the wrong body, they're in the wrong gender, when really they're struggling with depression, with self-confidence, with anxiety. We have many autistic children that are actually being pushed to transition as well. You know, they're being misdiagnosed. So, you know, I got to a point where I ha I've been having surgery, I've been changing myself, I had facial feminization, I had hair extensions, I was living as a transgender person in public. And then I got to a point where it's, okay, I can do more, I can do more surgery, I can keep doing this, but it's very self-destructive and I'm never gonna find happiness or I can think about that. So I actually went to church one day, I needed some time out. Cause you know, I spend so much time on social media. It's so addictive, it's so toxic. I put my phone, left it at, at the house, went to church, um, spent a few hours in there. I spoke to the priest and some of the other people at the service. And you know, it was a very positive experience and it was a place where, you know, away from social media, there's no outside influence. It's just a place where people help each other, help each other grow spiritually help other people and project positivity into the world and i thought you know that's a really nice thing to do and you know i started going to um church services more regularly and realized you know everything that jesus was doing you know he went to cleanse a leper man that nobody would help he was always projecting kindness he was always trying to help others he saw a lot of things that were wrong in the world so that's when i realized you know i'm seeing a lot of wrong things in the world right now and, you know, I do have a platform. I can either be a bad influence or I can be a good influence. So that kind of was a very pivotal moment for me. I think that that's great that you were, um, you know, first of all, that you were able to put yourself aside, which um, leads to the to the bigger thing that you found there, which was church and, and God. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do is to, um, you know, you lose your life to gain it, to, to put ourselves aside and take up the cross and, and, um, be with Jesus. So I think that that is such a pivotal message that you have for people in identity. Uh, do you see that because you found your identity in Christ, which is key to a person and, and their soul, uh, do you think that this is just a, a microcosm of the overall identity crisis that so many are going through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see an erosion of religion today. We see attacks on Christianity. Everything. Ever. Um, sorry, did you lose me there? No, it's okay. I did lose you there for a second, but I, I think I, I've got you back now. Um, so, yes, as I was saying, so, you know, I think a lot of people are having identity struggles these days. We're seeing a push to erode Christianity from the mainstream media, from society. They're trying to get rid of religion. 
and you know which is a bad thing because you know religion only helps people you know changing your identity going to a doctor and getting hormones is damaging it's not helpful so you know when these people try to attack christianity actually christianity can bring people back into the light when they've been going through a dark time so i would encourage anyone to try to find themselves and try to build that relationship um because we're seeing so many people now they don't go to church they're you know not doing wholesome things they're just on their phone all day long they're on tiktok we know um many tiktok users about 20 percent in the us are under 18. uh they spend on average 93 minutes per day on the app um so you know people aren't going to church people aren't even playing soccer they're not going outdoors they're simply glued to their phones and when they turn on the, their phones they're seeing these videos pushing these ideologies on them the tiktok ai then captures that person's psyche and what they're thinking and then starts to push more and more videos on them. So, you know, this is a, a danger to kids. You know, I, I miss the days, you know, 20 years ago when people would, you know, go to, go to Sunday service and start singing hymns. And, you know, that was a really positive thing. And, you know, you take your kids there and stuff. Now it's all about, you know, kids don't want to do anything other than be on TikTok. And that really is driving the identity crisis. Absolutely. And even families that call them, you know, call themselves religious or Jewish or Christian watching services on TV instead of actually going mm -hmm. into the church building and having that fellowship and that time where their kids can um, spend with other kids. Um, was there one particular message from the from the church or the preachers that really resonated with you that you can share with others. So, you know, that pastors or people ministering to others going through gender dysphoria or, um, you know, or these different issues that this is something that they can really learn from and share with, with those in their parish. Well, I think a very important um, passage in the Bible is the um, parable of the lost sheep, which is in Luke and Matthew. So that's basically a sheep goes astray from a flock and it's lost in the wilderness. So this is kind of, you know, you can compare it to modern society and say this is like a teen that's gone astray. They've been led astray by TikTok, by teachers, by, you know, wokeism. They've gone into the wilderness and they're lost. But, you know, does the shepherd abandon them? No, the shepherd goes out there to go and rescue that sheep and bring them back to the flock. So I think that's a great analogy for what is going on. These kids are lost in the wilderness. We as shepherds, as you know, shepherds of the Lord, we have a responsibility to bring these people back to help them. You know, we have to be compassionate. We have to understand that these kids are really, really struggling. Um, and th there was a very interesting um, story in the Daily Caller recently where the leading pioneer for Canada, um, who was performing all the gender revisions on teens since 1975. So they uh, prescribed thousands of hormones they have actually changed their messaging now. They've actually said it's harmful. It's not right. It's leading to bone density issues. It's leading to other health um, implications. And they even said that 82% of boys grow out of it as an adult. So, you know, we need to look at that. But, you know, I think in terms of the Bible, in terms of going to church, there are key passages in the Bible, which I think we can draw analogies from, like the parable of the lost sheep, like Jesus going out of his way to a leper colony to cleanse a leper that nobody else would go near this person. Nobody else wanted to help this person. They were living on their own in a colony, outcast and ostracized. But he went in there with kindness. And by doing so, he changed society's uh, perception of these leper people. And people realized, you know, they're not dangerous if you touch them. It's OK to try and help them. So, you know, I think there are great stories in the Bible we can look at and compare them to modern society. We just need to realize that, you know, kindness is important. But the, the difficult challenge with this is that whenever you try to question what's going on right now with gender ideology, 
the uh, left and the woke warriors are very, very violent and they're very aggressive. Uh, we saw D-Trans Awareness Day in Sacramento recently where Antifa turned up with some trans activists and they were violently assaulting journalists because the journalists were trying to report what was going on. So you know, these are challenges that we face. So you know, we need to come together as a Christian community, as all people, to come up with solutions to speak about this more. Because if you know, pastors and priests and worshippers going to church, if they can speak about these issues, then we can draw more attention to it, that we can finally erode this kind of toxic attack that we keep getting you know, from the radical left that are trying to silence people. The more people speak out, the better. I think that that is key in all of this because so many of us that are trying to speak out in love, um, and and you, I'm sure you you get this all the time, being so active on social media, you just get attacked and people are afraid to speak out, you know, because they don't want to look like they're intolerant, which we know um, is a is a word and a tactic that that they try to use against people, and that you know to be authoritative in 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 the truth and to stand up for that, and because. Uh, so many of these kids, you speak out, you spoke about this. So many of these kids, um, you know, they're feeling lost and they're going to these, these therapists that are, um, for lack of a better word, preying on their, you know, mm. on their instability, these kids, you know, being mentally unstable. And, you know, you've spoken out about this and we've, and we've all heard about the the headlines of the Washington University whistleblower and how these kids literally went one time to therapy mm -hmm. and they got a letter to go ahead and go through these surgeries and to start taking hormones and puberty blockers, things that are, physically um, going to hurt these children. You know, talk a little bit about that, how there are people that um, seem to be enabling all of this to happen. Absolutely. Like, as you just mentioned, with Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, a whistleblower named Jamie Reed actually exposed what was going on there. And they actually said that these, basically these therapists were on the payroll of the gender clinic. So the gender clinic was recommending specific therapists for these teens to go for in order to get their uh, gender dysphoria diagnosis. So they only needed one appointment and these therapists were being recommended by the gender clinic. So you know, these two go hand in hand. It's a working relationship between the gender clinic and the therapist. Gender clinics are only going to recommend a therapist that is going to give that kid a gender dysphoria diagnosis because guess what? They're going to make money from that child. So, you know, there's a working relationship there. And there's many people out there claiming to be therapists. We have on TikTok this prolific um, guy called Jeffrey Marshall. I'm sure many people have seen his shocking videos. You know, he's claiming to be a therapist and a child counsellor. He's asking kids to directly message him on Patreon, you know, privately message him to talk about cutting off their parents so they can change their gender. You know, that's very harmful. And, you know, when kids are going to people that aren't even licensed to speak to on these problems. So I think it's very harmful. And I think we do need to be careful with therapists because there's a lot of them out there that are very biased. They think, oh, it's all about healing and helping the kid to medically transition them when actually they're on the payroll of, you know, a gender clinic or they generally believe that ideology. So... You know, there are great therapists out there that will help. So I would you know, encourage any parents. Therapy is a great thing, um, especially when a kid's struggling. You know, they need someone to talk to. But just do your research. Don't, you know, don't take them to some woke therapist that's going to indoctrinate them. Take them to a nonpartisan, non-biased therapist that's actually going to help them talk through their issues and come up with ways to boost their confidence, to deal head on with their issues instead of simply saying, oh, yes, your kid has got gender dysphoria. They must get hormones right now. So now, parents uh, need to research a little bit better to try and find the right therapist to help them. 
Why do you think parents are allowing their kids to go through this? I know some parents are being circumvented in this process, but some are allowing this and even taking their children uh, voluntarily to these drags, drag queen story hours, things like that. Why are parents allowing this to happen? Well, I guess in this instance, there's two types of parents. There's parents that are generally being coerced and sold into this indoctrination. So they generally believe it themselves. You know, they fall victim to this ideology themselves and they generally think they're helping their kids. So you know, many kids go through a phase. Many girls are tomboys, um, especially in teen years. Uh, teens always question themselves. They always question their identity. Some boys are a little bit more feminine and vice versa. Um, but, you know, parents then look at that and, and they're told by teachers or people in authority that, your child is transgender, you must affirm now or you're a bad parent. So there are parents out there that are coerced into this. They don't know any better. They want the best for their kids and they're being told the wrong information. Um, on the other hand, you've got parents that are against this. But what's happening now is parents that are against this, they sometimes have social services come along and take the child away. So we're seeing in Washington state, I was actually testifying in the Senate yesterday uh, against a bill um, and recently a month ago also testified basically they're trying to circumnavigate parental rights and make Washington state a sanctuary state so a child from Idaho or Tennessee can travel there without parental knowledge without parental consent and transition so you know, there are two types of parents those that are being coerced and then those that are not even having a say you know uh, a child from Texas can now go to California get puberty blockers and the father or the mother cannot object you know they can't file a lawsuit or anything so um that's the issue and there's generally parents that generally think it's the best thing so we see with uh, jazz jennings um the famous um reality star who transitioned um from age five basically her her mom has been very pushy her mom owns a trans organization where she coaches parents on how to medically transition their children starting from preschool so that just shows you the mentality of some parents like jazz jennings's parents you know they, they generally believe that they're helping these people or, you know, they might be profiting from it or they think it's the right thing. And, you know, I think wokeism is really destroying society because we're not even looking at logic anymore. You know, if we dare to say mm, that might not be the best thing for your kid, we are suddenly transphobic, we're bigots, we're hateful. You know, we get called all sorts of names, racist, you know, it's just the level of insults is just ridiculous these days. Um, so that's the thing, you know, anyone that speaks out, any parent that questions this, will immediately be ostracized. Social services might try to take the kids. So you know, parents are struggling right now. And um, some parents are being sold a dream. They're being pushed into it. Chloe Cole, the famous detransitioner, her parents were told by the clinic, uh, if you don't transition your son, you're going to have a dead son. And that's a coercion tactic many clinics use. Um, when actually, I think it's the opposite. I think if you put these kids on hormones and puberty blockers and cut off their body parts, they're going to have more severe depression and suicidal tendencies as they grow up because they're going to have severe health problems. They're going to be ostracized from society. They lose their hair. They have bone issues, incontinence. So actually their life is going to be 10 times worse. Did you experience some of those, some of those things too, whenever you were transitioning? What sort of lows can you caution people against that you personally experienced? So I actually did it in adulthood. So I had facial mm -hmm. feminization and I was a publicly living as a woman. So dresses, extensions, everything. So I had the very painful surgery and, you know, I couldn't open my eyes for three days after that. It was very, very tough. Um, but the problem is, is when uh, teens or someone like me, when you go through this process, you feel great for a few months. So then you think, OK, I need more. So you feel great. You get that serotonin, that dopamine high. 
And then suddenly that wears off after a few months and then you want more. And if you can't get more, then suddenly you, you think, hmm, I'm starting to feel unhappy. Maybe I've regretted my decision. And then you have to deal with this on your own because there's no resources out there to help people that detransition. There's very limited help out there. You know, most uh, therapists, doctors, like the gender clinics, they don't care. Once they've transitioned that child, they will not help you. And that's also why you find, when you find studies from gender clinics, they say the detransition rate is very low. That's because they don't do follow-ups. They don't count the data. So they don't care about these kids as soon as they're out the door at the hospital. So, you know, there's no resources out there for teens. So someone like myself, I, you know, I, I went to church. I did go to therapy as well because you need someone to talk to. If you have to hide all these feelings inside, it's very, very difficult. So I think talking to someone is a great way um, to find yourself and to find happiness from within. Yes. And I think you're right. There needs to be more resources for parents as well that have already gone through this process with their kids. How do they talk to their children whenever their kids are coming to them and saying, you know, I'm regretting this when the parent has been thrusted down this possibly, you know, they've gone down this road with their child, maybe put in a lot of money as well into into this to the, all of this and suddenly their kids saying they might not want this. Um, I would assume that that's um, difficult for the parents to go through too. And, th and they probably are lacking resources now. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult for a parent, you know, especially if the parents push for that to happen or they were coerced mm -hmm. for it to happen because they must feel enormous sense of regret um, that they've done this to their child, you know, especially when they're cutting off body parts. It's just um, horrifying. But, you know, it's important to talk to these kids about their feelings. It should be between the parent and the child. It shouldn't be between teachers, you know, because you get these woke teachers that are trying to convince kids to transition. It should be conversation for the parent to have with the child. And if that child needs help to detransition or whatever, you know, take them to therapy, try to find the resources out there. Watch, you know, even watching videos of um, people like Chloe Cole that have done, you know, two hour interviews talking about their experience, how they got back to feeling themselves, you know, to feeling their biological self and how that process worked. Because, you know, there's, there's few resources out there, but it's great to see the journeys of other detransitions to see how they've now, you know, picked up the pieces of their, their life and they're now using their life to try and warn others. Um, so, you know, this is a conversation parents um, should have with compassion with their kids. Um, and, you know, even if a parent was the one behind transitioning their kids, if a child says they're not happy, they need, to, you know, and they need to detransition, they need to help them with that. Um, there's not really clinics out there that can do anything once someone's detransitioned. You can stop the hormones and puberty blockers, but unfortunately, the effects are permanent. Um, but, you know, speak, uh, speak to detransitioners, look online at the resources, go on YouTube, uh, Daily Wire, Daily Caller have some great articles about this, navigating through this. And also, I've written a book about it. So... Um, my book is about uh, my struggle with identity, how I accept myself, but it's also about the wider issue of gender ideology and detransitioning and looking at the issues that drive young people, social media, education, books, drive kids to transition and then also helping them to detransition and to find um, themselves and find happiness. Thank you so much for, for that and for reminding people about your book because it is an important resource because um, it is a lacking topic out there. And, um, you know, we're going to have this is something that um, really kind of exploded for lack of a better term. You know, you've mentioned the statistic in other interviews how um, now we have upwards of 100 different pediatric uh, transgender clinics, which where we used to have none. And so this has become 
sort of an exploding epidemic, if you will, in our young, in our youth. And we're going to have to exhibit grace and um, forgiveness moving forward to help, to help these children. What do you, do you see the tides turning at all in all of this? You know, we at We the Patriots USA, we have helped represent parents. Like we had a parent in Boston who was denied a religious exemption from his child, 11-year-old. You know, they wanted to have this book about a kid transitioning and everyone celebrating them transitioning and coming out and everything. And the parents were like, you know what? I don't think it's appropriate for my 11-year-old to learn about this. We tried to help them in the Boston School District with that. Actually, it's it's funny that we were recording this interview today because right before I started uh, a, a high school in the St. Louis area, I just got word of over 300 students staged a lockout over uh, same-sex bathrooms that they were demanding that we finally have they finally have their spaces um, back to the to themselves once again. And so, do you see a tide turning in in this? Absolutely. I've actually got a chapter in my book called Turning the Tide. So this talks about um, certain European countries have actually changed their laws now. So, um, for instance, the UK had a gender clinic, which was like a horror clinic called the Tavistock Clinic, which was putting so many kids on hormones, puberty blockers. The government is now shutting that down this year. And the, uh, the National Health Service in the UK, which is in charge of all the hospitals, has now reversed their um idea on changing genders you know they've actually said actually it is harmful we shouldn't be doing this to kids so they reversed it Norway's just reversed what they're doing um Sweden as well um Finland has actually published um an interesting study from the top gender clinic in Sweden actually said six out of seven um teens with gender dysphoria grow out of it um they also discussed that there's a an alarming number about 60 percent of people with gender dysphoria have severe, severe um, other issues, severe depression, suicidal tendencies, bipolar, schizophrenia, autism. So they've actually seen a serious correlation between kids that are struggling with something completely different and they're being told that they've got, you know, they're in the wrong gender. So we're seeing now data's completely changing, um, which is fantastic. The Canadian study I spoke to you about earlier, the top um, gender clinic in Canada has actually said, actually hormones are harmful for teens. So we're seeing a turning tide in terms of the US, seven states have now banned and outlawed performing gender affirming care on minors. Uh, we're seeing many other states now um, pushing legislation. We've got Iowa, Idaho, um, and many others. And Florida has been a real leader with this. Um, uh, Governor DeSantis has been doing a great job um, down in Florida, um, you know, leading the way. And you know, the main thing is, you know, we have to speak up because we're seeing now so many people speaking up, Terry, in the last year or two detransitioners, activists, women like yourself, patriots, people speaking up now. And this is finally turning the tide because before people were terrified to speak out because they get hate attacks. We've seen people hate crime. We've seen, you know, uh, Charlie Kirk, the Turning Point uh, founder, did a speech at UC Davis the other day. He had trans activists outside smashing windows. They assaulted a police officer, throwing eggs. You know, we're seeing that violence. But the more people that speak up against this ideology and you know, I'm not afraid, like, don't be afraid to speak out, you know, the more we can change the tide. And we need to, everybody in, in different states needs to testify every time there's legislation. So I've been testifying in Washington state, we need to testify every time there's legislation to try and push um, gender affirming care on minors, or making states sanctuary states where parents have no rights. 
We need to testify on that. We need to let uh, members of Congress know that this is not okay and this will never be okay. So the more people that speak up, the more we can help these children. I am, you know, a staunch advocate for parental rights and for our children, but also for women in all of this and um, how men have been now let into spaces where they're supposed to be all female, mainly for safety and for discretionary um, issues as well. And then on top of that, sports, how men are taking over uh, women's sports and virtually, you know, squeezing women out of a space that was uh, created for them. We're seeing, and again, we're seeing students at universities that are speaking out and saying, hey, I don't think it's okay for this man to be, for me to be competing against this man, for me to be sharing a locker room with this man. Um, and, you know, for, you know, my titles being stripped from me basically, because I can't compete with men. What have you, I know you've been doing some work in this area. What are you seeing on the front of women's spaces and women's athletics? Well, it's absolutely unfair. I mean, when you look at the case of uh, women's sports, you know, it's simply unfair to have a biological male. There was a study done um, by US Marines and military um, that were transgender, and they found even after one or two years of taking hormones, um, they still had a significant advantage over women in sports um, in terms of, you know, running, swimming. So we know that no matter how many hormones a person takes, they still have an advantage. I mean, if you look at Leah Thomas, over six foot, big muscles, you know, just pretending to be a woman, basically, because they wanted to win. They were ranking 530 in the men's race. Suddenly they're number one. And, you know, it, it's simply unfair. And, you know, whatever people think, people say it's unfair for trans athletes. Well, you know, one alternative in the UK, they're actually making a transgender boxing competition so they can just compete against each other. So maybe that's a solution that keeps everyone happy. But it's incredibly harmful. Um, you know, I, I submitted written testimony to the Texas Senate on Monday, and they're actually passing a Save Women's Sports Act, which is fantastic. Um, and um, Riley, the, Riley Gaines, the very famous swimmer, uh, has testified there. She's been fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's simply not fair when it comes to sport. When it comes to women's spaces, what woman would feel comfortable or safe with a man entering their space, you know, putting on a wig? Sometimes they don't even bother with the wig. They just walk in there and think they have the right to use that space. No, they don't. It's not fair for any woman. You've got sexual assault survivors that have trauma. They see a man in there. It triggers that trauma. It makes them feel awful. So, you know, it's absolutely unfair. We see many cases of um, men entering women's spaces to assault them. Just look at the Virginia school in Loudoun County where the boy wore a skirt to assault a girl. And, you know, the school took the side of the criminal. Um, so it's really, really bad. Um, we need to protect, you know, all women. Uh, women's prisons as well. You know, we see in Scotland, in the UK, transgender men, as soon as they get convicted, they change their gender to go into women's prison. And that is just so, so harmful. You know, we shouldn't be putting any woman at risk at all. Even if it saves one woman from assault, we should not be allowing this. So it's it's simply wrong that these people are trying to push, um, you know, push to use women's spaces. And basically they want to eradicate women's rights. I mean, International Women's Day, you had a man fronting the Hershey's campaign. They literally want to take away women's rights. So unless we all speak up now, you know, we're going to see George Orwell's 1984 novel where he predicted a dystopian future is kind of coming true. So we all need to speak up now and fight for every single woman and every single girl. I know it. It really none of it makes sense to us. Right. You know, on one hand, uh, you will have people 
screaming for women's rights and for feminism and standing up for women, but then they're applauding when a man wins, you know, a, a, a female's award or is propped up on International Women's Day. Like none of it makes sense to so many of us that are standing mm -hmm. back in all of this. Um, so I'm not quite sure how they make sense of it all. But you brought up the the prisons. And I think that that's really important that people here know that, A, it's a worldwide problem like you just suggested. But here in the U.S. it's happening. And these women are being assaulted. And many of them are getting pregnant. And then mm -hmm. the first of all, most importantly, the life of that poor baby. And secondly, then us taxpayers have to pay to help, you know, those, those babies, obviously that's not as important as their lives, but still, you know, this is an issue that these women are getting pregnant because they're being assaulted in these prisons. Well, like I was just mentioning with Scotland, there are around 30 transgender inmates in women's prisons. The majority of them are actually convicted for rape. So there, there was one, there was one that was convicted of raping two women and he was convicted and then he suddenly decided to become transgender and they put him in a women's prison. There was another really extreme case where a murderer in, the, in Scotland uh, transitioned after being convicted, but now they identify as a baby. And the prison actually gives them diapers, it gives them a dummy, the police officers hold their hand when they're walking out. So it's just beyond insanity. And you're absolutely right. Having a man, many of these men that become transgender in prison are sex offenders and they want to abuse women. So to allow that is simply insanity. I don't know how that's even a thing, you know, they should be, you know, locked away for life if they've done any, anything to a woman, you know, they shouldn't be in there with women, putting vulnerable women at risk. Yeah, it's, um, it's just, like you said, insanity that the judicial system and the prison system would go along with with this and would allow it to happen. Um, any As we wrap up our interview here, and we want to remind people one more time about your book, Detransition, a memoir by Ollie London, uh, to go ahead and go out and, and order that. Um, I can't wait to read it myself because I think the psychology behind this is so um, is so interesting and so important because it hits on the wider issue of the mental health that we're experiencing in this country and in throughout the world. So what would your final words to people be surrounding your book and this issue? Well, absolutely. I mean, I tackle all this in my book. So I've got half of the book is about my journey, how I got to where I was and how I realized that I'd made mistakes and reversed that decision. The second half of the book, you know, I've got a chapter on the gender affirming care industry in the US. I've got different state laws. I've got the chapter about turning the tide, what's happening now. I've got, you know, research and data from clinics and hospitals that are actually saying this is very harmful what we're doing and looking at gender dysphoria as, you know, it is a mental health condition. And, you know, people are afraid to uh, put two and two together. If you put the word gender dysphoria and mental health on a tweet, you get a ban still, even with Elon Musk. So, you know, people need to realize this is a mental health crisis that has been spurred on in the last few years. You mentioned earlier, 100 pediatric clinics have opened in 10 years. We've seen really in the last couple of years since COVID, the level and the, the numbers of people uh, being admitted to gender clinics has absolutely skyrocketed. Um, so, you know, we had the pandemic, which, you know, people were locked at home. The kids weren't socializing. They have no social skills. And you know, many people that have gender dysphoria, they simply want validation and attention. They feel unhappy with themselves. So they're trying to feel valid. And then they look on TikTok and they see Dylan Mulvaney with millions of views. They have their own show on NBC. They have Brandon Dawson's. They think they can become like that, too. So that's really when everything started. I think the pandemic has really spurred this on to crisis level. 
And, you know, I talk about all these issues in my book. And I also talk about, you know, where parental rights are being taken away, how we can fight back, how we can speak up and, you know, how, to, how we can deal with this issue with compassion, because it's very important to speak about these issues openly um, when, you know, trans activists are trying to cancel free speech. We all need to come together. You know, even the trans activists, they act crazy. They're very aggressive, but they need to learn to speak. You know, they need to learn to uh, be respectful when they speak to people instead of screaming and shouting. It actually makes them look really bad. They need to wake up and realize, you know, we're only going to come up with a solution if all parties come together and come up with uh, the best thing. And we do need to ban gender affirming care for any minors. And, you know, there's many adults that go through gender affirming care and, you know, they detransition. They are also being exploited. You know, most of these people now uh, would never have even thought they were transgender 30 years ago. This is a, there are, of course, there were some, but this has become a really recent phenomenon. So we need to tackle these things head on. And my book is covering all these things. It's got a positive ending to the book. You know, I want to help people. I want to inspire people, you know, go to church, do daily positive affirmations, try to find happiness from within, less time on social media as well. So, you know, I, I hope this book helps a lot of people. Well, we thank you so much for all you're doing to speak up to this and, and be a testament to uh, you know, finding your identity, not within yourself, but within within Christ and within God and how that can really be the most freeing thing that you can do and put down your phone, put down, I'm guilty of it too, and put down your phone. It's hard, but you've got to do it. It is, yes. Thank you, Ollie. Thank you so much, Taryn. Appreciate it. God bless you.